This is Oklahoma football. back what's up everybody welcome to another edition of the mainline podcast i'm your host tyler burton and today we've got a big episode planned for you as we look at oklahoma success the past couple of weeks landing some big time players from the transfer portal uh, we're going to talk a little tennessee football since they just hired a brand new head coach someone sooner fans uh, around the area are very familiar with former ou offensive coordinator and national championship winning quarterback josh heupel and uh, we're going to kind of dive into the early enrollees that have already stepped foot on campus here in Norman and talk a little college football playoff expansion. But before we get to that, I've got to bring in my co-host, Adam Jacquez. Adam, what's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, it's good to be back. It feels like every week that goes by, good things keep happening to the Sooners, and uh, it just builds the excitement as we go into a very important year. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, we're, uh, this has definitely been one of the uh, – Kind of one of the craziest off seasons, obviously, with COVID, the global pandemic going on, and the the transfer portal has just been an absolute fr- you know frenzy. So uh, it's definitely been fun, you know, all, all over social media, following things, all the beat writers reading up on all that good stuff. So, uh, but OU's made quite a splash with the transfer portal here in the last couple of weeks, thanks to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. So, uh, but Adam, before we kind of before we dive into that, let's welcome our guest to today's show. Uh, he's a former OU Athletics marketing GA, worked for Legends in a partnership a couple years with OU Athletics, and currently this guy serves as manager of business development for Ad Action Interactive all the way up in Denver, Colorado. So let's welcome to the podcast, Corbin Polson. Corbin, what's up, man? Hey, guys. How we doing? Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, so uh, excited to be on the pod. Yeah, we'll get you some Johnnies, so... Um, <laughs> Well, good, man. Excited to have you. Obviously, uh, a, lot, a lot of changes. You know, we're, we're used to seeing you here in Norman, all the way over at the Sooner Club, talking to you each and every day, um, all the different stories. I'm sure we could do an entire episode on a lot of the uh, good times and bad as far as OU athletics, a lot of the different, you know, scenarios and phone calls that we found ourselves in, but excited to have you on the podcast, dude. What's uh, What's been going on up in Colorado, man? So, up in the Denver area, I see. Yeah, man, up in Denver. Uh, moved out here almost a, a year to date. Uh, February first, I had made the move out here, and uh, you know, it was just time for some some change in life. And thought Denver was a great spot to be, and it's it's been awesome. You know, even though there's only about what four weeks before the entire world shut down of me living out here last year, it's still been pretty great. You get to wake up and enjoy the mountains, and uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to beat. Loving it out here. So in Colorado, obviously in Denver with the pandemic going on right now, are you working from home or are you able to go into the office or what's, what's that like right now? Yeah, we, we have an office down in Lakewood. Uh, for anybody not familiar with that, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes southwest of kind of the heart of downtown Denver. Uh, but they haven't been in the office since uh, April, I believe, last year. Um, and they, you know, I think almost doubled in staff uh, since t- uh, the start of 2020. So a lot of people on the team have not seen the office, uh, you know, so it's pretty unique. We're all working from home. Luckily for us, you know, we are in the, you know, a, a tech company. And so it makes it nice and easy for us. And, uh, you know, nowadays it's, it's just really easy to meet with people, um, you know, online, especially since a lot of our client base is uh, sure got a lot here in the U.S., but overseas in different time zones, you know, we're a worldwide company as far as what we do. So uh, not too big of a turnoff as far as, you know, just connect with people the way we used to. How different is what you're doing right now compared to what you were doing in your role working over at the Sooner Club for a couple of years as far as, you know, dealing with clients? Obviously, it's a lot different. You're no longer you're not working in sports right now, but there's got to be some carryover to it, I'm sure. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's sales. Uh, you know, revenue generation is what uh, everybody's after. So, you know, we work in the the mobile app industry. And so we do advertising and monetization for different apps. So a lot of the things, you know, if you're playing a, a game and you run out of tokens, you need more tokens, it says, hey, download this app and we'll get you more tokens. That's what my company does. Uh, so uh, I didn't even know there was companies like this that existed, uh, but I have definitely used their services in the past. And so this whole own, almost underground, if you will, of uh, different companies like this. So, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, making all the cold calls, cold emails, booking the meetings, and hopefully closing some sales. Uh, you know, but all of us here, you know, have had a long background with something like that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, again, excited to have you on here. Um, you're, it's probably, probably you got to be pretty hard pressed to find three, you know, three bigger OU fans, OU football fans uh, than the three that we've got right here on this podcast. So excited to talk some ball, some of the things that have been going on. In the offseason, a lot of things that are impacting OU as we kind of gear up for what's what has a chance to be a really, really nice uh, championship run coming up this fall of 2021. So, uh, but Adam, let's just kind of dive in here, man. Like I said, a lot, of, a lot of really good things happening for this OU football team in the transfer portal. Last couple of weeks, they filled some positions, uh, or I guess filled it with some guys that it looks like they're going to be able to contribute in a really big time way, hopefully sooner rather than later. So, um, Adam, just started off here with this kind of Tennessee trio that we've got going on, three guys from Knoxville, and that's honestly kind of been a pipeline that's opened up all the way from Knoxville down here to Norman. So kind of what are some of your impressions from some of the guys we've got on campus now? Well, yeah, there's uh, there's three guys as of right now, and I'm, I'm scrolling Twitter, and as of right now, it's just three, but could be a quad by the time that uh, we get to the end of this pod. And I, it was really interesting how we were able to fill pretty much every single need that we were looking for for from a transfer portal perspective from one school. And I think there's probably a general consensus out there of what people are, are thinking will be the, the biggest impact player out of that trio. Uh, but I guess I'll, I'll, I'll pass it to Corbin. Who do you expect the most out of uh, going into the 2021 season? From the trio, it's got to be Wani Morris, right? I mean, that's a, a position that was of dire need. There was a question mark all year long um, about the tackle situation. You know, yeah, there were some good games or we had some solid up front work, but I think more times than not, you know, I think we were shaking our heads from what we're used to seeing from beating Bo in that offensive line. It, it wasn't up to par. And there's lots of things that can contribute to that, you know, especially a year without an off season. But to me, yeah, it's Juan Morris. That's that was a huge need for us um, to lock down that that tackle spot. That's definitely on my end who I'm most excited to, uh, to watch grow into that role um, from the Tennessee trio. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, plain and simple, Wanya Morris, he's the best football player of the three. I mean, you're talking about a former five-star recruit who started as a true freshman for the Volunteers. We've all seen his tape, and with his size, long arms, and the quick footwork, I think he has a chance to step in day one as a starting member of Bill Beanbow's offensive line. And, you know, even though he's got the ability to play tackle on either side of the line, I think we can go ahead and pencil him in, hopefully, as OU starting left tackle when OU takes the field against Tulane next fall. And, you know, we, we knew we were going to be losing Creed to the NFL, but after the surprise early entry from Adrian Ely, this is probably the biggest pickup, um, you know, between the three and the entire – and honestly, you could probably say this is the biggest pickup of anybody that's entered the transfer portal, you know, ac across college football. So uh, he, he fills a void that can allow, you know, Anton Harrison maybe to slide back over to that right tackle position, which, you know, he he's a more natural fit for. And all in all, I love this kid for OU. And what, what, do, we, what do we do, you know, what, what do we always say is crucial 
for a team to compete for a national championship. You've got to have elite quarterback play. OU's got that, of course, with Spencer Rattler. And you've got to have dominant units on both the offense and defensive lines. And, you know, we, we can go on and on and rave about the depth and the, the, the talent that's on the defensive line. But I feel like what, what kind of held OU back last year, and hopefully they can get it corrected going into 2021, I want to see that nastiness and that dominant O-line play that we got so accustomed to seeing from those 2017-2018 teams where you had guys like Orlando Brown, Ben Powers, Drew Samia, you know, it seemed like that that offensive line was good, always good for at least one or two 15-yard penalties. You know, that that nasty, that toughness, that grit, that's something uh, that this OU offensive line has, has got to get back to going into 2021. And I think Morse has a chance to be OU's best offensive tackle you know, from a skill standpoint since the likes of Orlando Brown uh, a few years ago. So really excited about that guy. Another one that I think OU fans should be excited about, I'm not sure how much playing time he's going to get, you know, coming in with this being his first year, but the number one prospect from the state of Tennessee in 2019, safety uh, Kishon, Kishon, I'm not really sure how you say it. We'll we'll check. Uh, Kishon Lawrence talking about a guy whose size and frame is exactly what Alex Grinch is looking for. At the safety position, six foot two, two hundred pounds, physical, flies to the football. He can cover in space. And my favorite part about the the safety position and this kid, he's not afraid to come down in the box and make a play on the ball carrier. So I think the question for him is how quick is he going to be able to pick up this defensive scheme that Grinch runs? It's absolutely huge that he's going to be on campus for spring ball because he's got some ground to make up, especially given the you know you've got guys like Pat Fields and DTY that have been key contributors on this defense for the past two years now. Yeah, I have to kind of take a step back on on Keyshawn Lawrence and just temper what my expectations might be because he really was a true freshman last year, didn't go through any type of offseason or or much in the way of a fall camp. And so uh, not really sure what to quite expect out of him, but at the very least, I think he's a very talented guy that's going to challenge for depth, uh, whether that's uh, you know, at Pat Fields position or maybe a nickel position, but uh, I like having more competition on the roster. Yeah, Corbin, I want to throw this over to you. Adam, you know, basically made the point for me. Could could Keyshawn Lawrence, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds, could he maybe make a transition and move over to that nickelback position, which, you know, we, we talk – Corbin, you'll find out, you know, you've listened – we talk about Buki every single podcast. You know, he I thought he played pretty well last year in spurts. Obviously, you know, five nine when you're going up against bigger receivers, bigger tight ends, there's only so much he can do. So could a guy like Keyshawn Lawrence, could he make a move over to Nickelback and, and kind of help OU out immediately next year? I think it's possible. I don't think it's a secret. Um, you know, looking at Grinch's past, you know, couple of years, his track record of of one playing the best players and putting them on the field. If he's one of the best, you know, 11 on defense, I think Grinch is going to find a spot for him. But I also think Grinch has got a history of playing guys with experience. And I think that doesn't necessarily suit well for that front. So, you know, I think that's a mixed bag and it goes exactly to what you're saying. How fast can you pick up this, this scheme? He's got the body type that Grinch loves. Um, I think he's honestly made up for a little bit of lack of safety recruiting over the past couple of years just by getting him on board. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think that's a tough question to answer at the moment um, just because you've got two different angles you can look at. it. Like I said, you got the one where I think he's going to be one of the best 11 players, find a spot for him on the field. Um, but there, there's that experience group. And as you mentioned with DTY, Field, Buki, they've all got that experience, you know, in years of it. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a real challenge uh, to kind of break that trend of what Grinch has done so far. But hopefully we're all pleasantly surprised and we see him out there on day one. 
Yeah, I think a true maybe wild card going into next year as far as the secondary goes and where guys are going to be in position is what, what does a guy like Justin Harrington do? Is he going to be moved back to the safety position? Or does Alex Grinch, because of the experience of Pat Fields and DTY, does he slide him over to that nickel, get a, you know, get a bigger guy over in that position, a guy that covers really well in space, he's fast, um, obviously, we're uh, OU fans and coaches were excited to see what he was going to be able to do prior to his injury uh, during last fall camp. But obviously, you know, lot, lots to be excited about with Keyshawn Lawrence, uh, a guy that he's going to have, you know, four more years of eligibility here in Norman. So it's going to be fun to watch him grow. And I think he's got a chance to, uh, to, to you know, kind of grow and, and be a big time player for OU, uh, hopefully this year, but, you know, definitely in years to come. And, you know, we'll kind of wrap up here with the, the third member of the trio, the most recent commitment. Uh, from the you know Tennessee last year is you know running back Eric Gray. I think that this was a great get for Lincoln Riley and Demarco Murray, especially after the the Kamar Wheaton saga. And it sounds like you know that still hasn't even been put to rest yet. But when Oklahoma loses a guy like Ramondre Stevenson to the NFL and TJ Pleasure to the portal, yes, it's nice to have a thousand yard you know back returning in Kennedy Brooks, but you still needed to try and find someone who could come in and could contribute alongside a guy like Marcus Major and Seth McGowan. And I think Gray has a chance to come in and compete for carries next fall. I, I haven't really been able to put my finger yet uh, on who I think he's a good comparison as far as past Oklahoma running backs, but he's got really good speed. He's shifty. He's really good at catching the football out of the backfield. So I think this is a great pickup that OU fans should be happy with. And Hopefully this kind of puts everyone's minds at ease as, as we now watch to see what DeMarco is going to be able to do recruiting the running back position going into 2022. Yeah, for me, I look at Eric Gray, and I think if there's maybe a player comp out there that I have, he's probably a poor man's DeMarco Murray, which is not a bad thing necessarily, um, just in the versatility that he has with the speed and, and the receiving ability. Uh, so I, I like what he can bring to the table and hopefully it's not something that will scare off a, a guy like Marcus major or uh, God forbid Seth McGowan gets scared during the spring practice and one of them transfers, but I love the the depth that's building there. And, and thank goodness too, that signing day is, is less than a week away. So if this Kamar Wheaton's saga continues, we don't have very much longer to wait to put that to bed. Corbin, I'll throw this over to you and kind of table this up as a round as a as a roundtable discussion. But Corbin, starting with you, did did OU, in your opinion, did OU do everything they needed to do in the transfer portal this offseason to, in your opinion, make them a legitimate national title contender going into this fall? You know, guys, I think for a while that you were really starting to wonder. Um, you know, those first three, four weeks. I don't know about you, but what the heck is going on? I mean, you see guys who, you know, according to some, you know, different sites and according to social media, like this could be a take for OU. These could be, you know, good fits and we're not even approaching them. So I think there was a while that we started to question. It's hard to disagree that we, we got the best we possibly could out of the transfer portal so far. Um, so it was definitely worth the wait. Uh, and, and it was particularly at all the key spots that we really had question marks on. Now they still have to go out on the field and prove it. They still got to go do their jobs. And that's obviously time is going to tell, but as far as on paper, if you look at the positions of need that we had to have, um, yeah, I think you check the boxes. And I think if you can go out now and if there are two or three more guys out there, not only, you know, in the near future for the Porter, but portal, but especially after spring ball goes through, I think you're, you're going to see another wave. If you can go add some talented guys just because they're talented guys that realize, oh, you've got a chance to make a true run this year. Now you're really starting to get into that conversation of, okay, now it's not just a potential playoff team. This is a team that really could take that, that next step and, and go in that. 
Adam, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I, it'll be interesting to see in future years if teams like OU are able to fill uh, holes like this. But, uh, you know, being this is the first year that guys can transfer without much of a penalty. And then you've got this weird situation in Tennessee with kind of a disaster where the, the coach leaves or I guess is fired for cause, NCAA violations hanging over there, new coach coming in, which uh, maybe that's a good segue we talk move in that direction but um a new coach that's not really that inspiring uh to stick around for so i'm curious to see how the transfer portal works in future years but overall i, I agree with corbin uh you know it, it really couldn't have done much better there in setting ourselves up for a championship run you almost have to wonder if this was kind of a one-off year where like you said it was a perfect storm where you had something going on at tennessee where you know it's kind of like a mass exodus of players that OU was able to capitalize and pick up you know, three good players that were key contributors for Tennessee the last you know year or two, uh, being able to fill those positions of need, losing a guy like Adrian Ely, okay, you automatically are able to you know, not just fill the position, but possibly upgrade with a guy like Wanya Morris. So it's, it's going to be really fun to see. I'm trying to tamper my expectations because it seems like as OU fans, you know, myself, I'm more guilty of it than probably anybody trying to tamper the expectations, thinking is this finally the year that OU is able to, you know, chase number eight. That's the that's the famous slogan around here, chase number eight. Uh, can, can OU finally get over the hurdle and win a national championship? I think that they definitely have the pieces to do that. Um, but like you said, what, what's the offseason going to be like? How hard are these guys going to work, you know, January 28th all the way through the end of fall camp? Because, you know, it, it, as good as the team is on the field, it's these months during the offseason where championships are won in the weight room, on the practice field, in the film room. Uh, but I definitely think that OU's got all the pieces in, in place to, to make a run at this thing, and we'll uh, we'll just kind of see how it goes. But um, I think that that's a that's a perfect transition. You know, like we said, the Tennessee trio, three new guys in Norman from Knoxville. Obviously, because of the uh, I mean, quote unquote, the shit show that was going on in Knoxville. You know, for the last couple of weeks. Shout out McDonald's. Uh, I've, I've gone through McDonald's twice uh, since all that news broke and wasn't any money in it. So not sure. Uh, I guess that must just be a uh, Knoxville or maybe even SEC thing. We can talk about that if we want to. But um, Adam, Josh Heupel, man, uh, a guy that OU fans are all too familiar with, both as a player and a coach here in Norman. Did Tennessee get it right with this hire? I'm not really sure what direction they could have gone that would have been a whole lot better. I, I, I don't really think that there's any way that they could have pleased their fan base at this point. And uh, Josh Heupel's a guy that recognizes this is an opportunity he really can't turn down. So I, I guess he's the guy that would take the job. So you kind of have to offer it to him. I think he knew what direction Central Florida was heading and you know his stock wasn't going to continue to rise there. So here's an opportunity to take a, you know, a top 25 type of job, probably fringe top 25 at this point, but it's an opportunity that you really can't turn down. So I, I don't know what they could have done that was much better than Josh Heupel. Corbin, you agree or disagree? Yeah, I'm uh, exact same page. Um, you know, my, my, when I started thinking about this question, my first gut feel was like, absolutely not. Like this is not the right hire. But what what would be the right hire? I mean, the opportunity to go hire a big name coach, whether it's a you know previous head coach or a big name offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, whatever it's going to be, it's not going to happen. Whenever you're, you're staring down the you know uh, gun of what the NCAA is pointing towards Tennessee right now, so um, I don't think it was possible for them to make a right hire. I think Josh is a safe hire. You know, he's going to run a clean program. I think best case scenario, he's going to be 
you know, a 500 coach in, in the SEC. Uh, you know, I was just looking at, you know, UCF's record last year, six and four. I, I just can't get excited about it, especially when you know what UCF was doing in years past before they got there. So um, stand 100% in agreement with Adam. It's, uh, it's not the right hire, but I don't know if there was one out there to make. Yeah, and truth be told, I don't know what Tennessee fans were expecting. I mean, you you hit it perfectly, uh, Corbin. They weren't going to get a home run hire like a Joe Brady or James Franklin or somebody of that caliber because, honestly, what coach that is established elsewhere is going to want to take a job when you've got a new AD and your program is on the verge of what looks like being punished with some pretty serious sanctions by the NCAA? Oh, and to top it off, I you know, we can talk about expectations and, you know, being in the SEC, the, it's it's a crazy, crazy fan base down there in Knoxville. Much like Texas, every offseason, do nothing but talk, hype themselves up. This is the year we're going to get over the hump and do it. And then they fall flat on their face. So even though I'm not sure if Heupel is a great fit, you know, personality-wise, you know, he's very cut and dry. You know, he's not the sexy hire that I think Tennessee was hoping for. But at the same time, too, I don't really know who else you were going to get outside of, you know, maybe somebody that was – has had a good reputation. He kind of, you know, carried the torch from Scott Frost at UCF. This was a chance for him to jump up into the, you know, a Power 5 program. Expectations in Tennessee going to be a lot higher than what we saw at UCF. So um, you you factor that in and and also talk about the mass exodus of Tennessee players because of the shady stuff that was going on with Jeremy Pruitt and Phil Fulmer over the past few years. It's it's an interesting hire. I'm definitely going to be cheering for hype. Um, but, but again, I, I'm not really sure what more Tennessee could have done um, just because of you know, the timing and the situation that they found themselves in. So, um, Corbin, I'll throw this back over to you and we'll hear from Adam on this. You know, one thing that we always hear about is the, the, you know, the shattered relationship between Josh Heupel and Oklahoma, you know, whether that was because of the falling out, Bob Stoops firing Josh you know, after the 2014 season. Um, you know, there's even reports out there that Josh hasn't even spoken to Bob since, you know, being fired and let go from it. So, Corbin, do you think do you think the Hypel OU relationship is repairable or is that something that's just too far gone? Man, you, you have to think it's repairable. I mean, it's not like um, it's not like anything seriously happened. He was he was fired. Oh, you had to move on. I think both parties looking at it now, both parties turned out on the right side of things. I think the the mending of that relationship has to come from Bob and Josh. Um, that's where it has to start for anything else to come into play. I don't know either of them, you know, so I don't know if any conversations have or have not happened. I was actually somewhat optimistic, and obviously it's changed now, but there were some rumors out there that Mike Stoops potentially could become the D.C. at Tennessee. Uh, and I thought, what a great opportunity to kind of start mending that, right? Get a Stoops back in the picture with Josh Heupel. Maybe that opens the door for him and Bob to get back together and things can start heading in the right direction. Obviously, that's not the case with Mike anymore. So I don't know, um, even if it is repairable at this point, what's the purpose of either one of them reaching out, you know, and starting to, to make that, um, you know, head back in the right direction. So even if there is an opportunity, I'm not sure when it happens. Yeah, I think it's it's really tough to watch and see as an OU fan, especially one probably like our age, we grew up seeing Josh Heupel win a championship and bring OU back to glory. And, and then even after that, he came in and he was a tight ends coach and a quarterback coach. Uh, and he did some really big things with Sam Bradford. And then it was really exciting to see him become the offensive coordinator. And that's where, uh, you know, all the air ran out and it was, it was just a sour way to, I guess, see his career at OU as a coach end uh, in 2000. 
14. And it's been really tough because on one hand, you see him as a big piece of why OU is back, you know, and, and the behemoth in the college football. And then on the other hand, he's one of the reasons that OU was really, you know, uh, I guess wandering there in the mid to uh, 2010s. So that's tough. I would really like to see him come back, be on the field in 2025. I'm sure they're going to recognize uh, the national championship team there, which is really tough to comprehend that it's going to be a quarter of a century here in just uh, four years for that. But um, I hope that uh, that's a bridge that can be rebuilt. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, you know, I really hope that <clears throat> someday Josh and OU can get back in each other's good graces. You know, what, what I think OU fans – uh, do a bad job of is separating, you know, Josh Heupel, the coach from Josh Heupel, the quarterback, whom I might add is the last quarterback to win OU a national championship. And, you know, he had a good run as a coach and a play caller. And even though, you know, Bob fired him in 2014 after that dreaded eight and five season, we all remember the 40 to six, you know, loss to Clemson in the bowl game. But can we really sit here and say that that breakup wasn't good? Like you said, uh, Corbin, for both Heupel and OU, I mean, Josh went on to be the head coach at UCF. He's now the head coach at an SEC program in Tennessee. And Oklahoma has Lincoln Riley. They've won six straight Big 12 championships, uh, the, the, you know, multiple Heisman Trophy winners. You know, it's could we really ask for anything better? So let's bury the hatchet and realize that Josh Heupel has had a huge positive impact on Oklahoma football. And like you said, Adam, in 2025, when Tennessee does make that return trip, you know, you, you know back down here, let's hope that, you know, one, Josh is still – the head coach at that program, but two, that's a chance to kind of, you know, get everybody together, you know, kind of build those good graces back up. Cause obviously, like I said, he's a, he's a national championship winning quarterback. And, you know, honestly, the people have made the argument that, you know, he kind of saved OU football during a year when Bob Soups first got on campus building the program back up. So um, hopefully, you know, that that's something that OU fans can, you know, kind of not, you know, not forgive Josh, but let's, let's, you know, let's welcome him back in, get in those good graces and, uh, and go from there. So um, anything, anything left on uh, Tennessee and, uh, and Josh, before we kind of move on here to the early enrollees. I think that that pretty much covers it as far as our Tennessee coverage. Okay, perfect. Well, like I said, early enrollees, all those guys have been on campus um, over the last couple of days. Everybody's finally here. Even got a surprise early enroll early enrollee uh, just you know twenty four to forty eight hours ago and getting Billy Bowman on campus. But when you look at when you look at the guys that have come in early, we've got ten true freshmen that are going to be a part of spring ball. Get to go through the summer workouts and you know kind of have a leg up heading into fall camp over the rest of the freshman class that won't be here until, you know, the middle part of the summer. But when you look at these 10 guys, Adam, who's a player or player that you're most excited to watch and hear about as we move throughout uh, the spring ball? For me, it's Mario Williams. And I think it's just because the path to playing time at a receiver is one of the few positions that a freshman can really jump on the scene and make a big impact. We saw it with Marvin Mims last year. The receiver room does have quite a bit of talent, but Williams is a is a guy that's you know electric. He's got a ton of speed, especially moves in the open field. So I think he could be a ton of fun to watch in the spring, even if that doesn't necessarily translate into playing time in the fall, just because of how how loaded that uh, the depth chart is in that particular position. Is he a guy that you could see OU lining up in the slot? Is he a guy that you know goes out wide or is he more of a fit that, that we saw the likes of Hollywood Brown of D.D. Westbrook a true speedster uh, that OU is able to push the ball down the field with I think eventually that's where his role is going to fall 
But I imagine, especially early in his career, he's going to be playing a lot of slot. Corbin, what do you think, buddy? Yeah, I had uh, three guys of the early enrollees that I, I'm probably really excited about. Mario was one of them. I mean, Hollywood was the last guy that we truly have had that, you know, had that stretch the field capability. I know Mim showed it at times the past year, but I think that's a, that's a huge piece to Lincoln Riley's offense. But for me, it's Clayton Smith. That is a guy who I'm really excited about. He's our highest D um, recruit since when, Tyler? I, I don't have a number on that. Okay. Um, yeah, oh, God. Uh, we'll things work differently there. Um, so I'm going to backtrack. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm pumped about Clayton Smith. I think, you know, from the film I've seen on him, dude just looks like an animal. And probably the best reason, um, you know, that he has an opportunity to be great is because he gets to go and sit behind Nick Benito for a year, you know, and have that pressure off to learn from one of the best guys at the position in the entire country. So that's what I've got my eye on. Not only, you know, this upcoming year, uh, to hopefully contribute in some way, shape or form. But, uh, you know, opportunity of, of a really talented guy and gets to go in and learn from a really, really talented guy usually results in good things. Yeah, I had Clayton Clayton Smith, number one on the list for me. And you I mean, you you hit everything that I was just about to say. You, you give him the, the opportunity to spend the next year, a full year to learn under Nick Benito, a guy that, that many people were excited to see come back instead of going to the NFL draft, a guy that's done it the right way. Uh, Clayton Smith, five star, extremely athletic coming off the edge. OU fans are uh, you know, myself included, extremely high on this guy. Can't wait to see what he's going to become. And like you said, it just talks. It just you know talks more and more about the depth that Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley are building at that position. The fact that you've got a five-star kid that's going to come in, and he's still going to be behind a player like Nick Benito. But giving him the opportunity to learn and see how it's done the right way, I think is going to pay dividends as he moves forward throughout his football career here at OU. The second guy that I had on my list was Billy Bowman, and and where exactly is he going to fit? on this football team? Where are they going to line him up at? Is he going to play offense? Is he going to play defense? I think that we can probably say it's a safe bet that he's going to find his way onto the field, especially in special team units as a return man on both kickoff team and in punt uh, on the punt team, punt return team also. But what, what's he going to line? Where's he going to line up at? Is he a guy that you can throw in the secondary? Maybe, maybe play that nickelback position. Or is he a guy that Lincoln Riley is going to say he's too good of an athlete He's too good with the ball in his hands. I got to have him on the offensive side of the football. So Clayton Smith and Billy Bowman for me are the two that I'm definitely excited to keep my eye on as we move throughout spring practice and uh, hopefully we'll uh, have a spring game this year. So, um, Adam, to kind of throw this back to you, of the 10 early enrollee guys that are now on campus, which position group do you think it impacts the most in a positive way? For me, I had to stick on the defensive side of the ball. And you talked about where Billy Bowman fits. Maybe he's in the defensive backfield, but also having guys like Latrell McCutcheon, Jordan Mukes might be a little bit further away from some playing time. But with how Alex Grinch does rotations, those guys are going to get some opportunities to play on the field uh, this year. And I think we can all agree that the secondary is the position, position group on defense that can still show quite a bit of improvement. And so having those guys there pushing some upperclassmen, I think can only make the entire group much better. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Corbin, are you kind of uh, echoing the same sentiments or have you got your eye on another, or have you got your eye on another position group? Yeah, I got my eye on another position group. This one's a little bit off the cuff um, and hear me out, but I'm going to actually say it's the QB room. Uh, I Damn think it, Corbin. I think Caleb coming in early is a huge deal. Um, Let's be honest, we can all go with Riley's statement, you know, for the past five years and say there was a quarterback challenge 
in last offseason. Spencer was always the guy. We know he was always the guy. I do think bringing in another highly touted guy that is just as, or if not more, um, coming in with expectations of, of what he should be bringing to the table, I think that's good. I'm a big iron sharpens iron guy. Uh, and I think, you know, that is going to be good for the overall growth of Spencer Rattler. And uh, that's what I'm going with. So not necessarily something that would stick off the page because let's be honest, Spencer's not losing his job. But I do think Caleb's got the opportunity to push him. And I think one thing to keep an eye on is when Spencer was coming into the locker room after watching the, the Netflix documentary, you did wonder how he would relate to the rest of the guys in the locker room. Could he become that leader? I think those questions have, have been put aside, but you don't worry about that with Caleb. And so I think that's also another good thing just to make sure team camaraderie is up front and uh, at the highest potential. So I think it's the QB room on, on my end for kind of some um, unique reasons, I would say. Yeah, definitely in the quarterback room, you're going to have two, you know, alpha dogs. And honestly, what better room uh, on this football team when you've got Lincoln Riley, you know, leading the charge to have those two, you know, alpha dogs, you know, in, you know, fighting it out for playing time. But I completely agree with you. Caleb Williams, he's your backup quarterback. So giving him a spring ball to learn the system and get up to speed with what Lincoln likes to do and what he likes his quarterbacks to do is huge for him to be in Norman now compared to July. Because like I said, he's the backup quarterback. If Spencer, you know, gets nicked up, if he's out, uh, you know, Caleb Williams, that's your guy. So, and just like you said, I'm pretty much echoing your sentiments, Corbin, but it's good for Spencer Rattler, honestly, probably almost as much as it is for Caleb because Caleb's going to, is going to push Spencer. Spencer's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to have a tremendous offseason. He's going to have to continue to grow both on the field and in the film room, also understanding the defense and taking that next step up to get to the quarterback play that we've seen from the guys in the past, like a Baker Mayfield, like a Kyler Murray, because if OU is going to be able to, you know, not only not just compete for a national championship, but hopefully win one in 2021, you've got to have elite quarterback play consistent throughout the entire season. So not only is it big for Caleb Williams that he's an early enrollee, I think that it's huge for Spencer Rattler because it's going to allow him to, you know, hopefully speed up his progression process and becoming a more mature, uh, even better quarterback than what we saw towards the end of last season. So um, kind of one one more here, kind of one more question as it pertains to the early enrollees. Who's a guy other than maybe Caleb Williams that you think is a player with the most to gain by getting here early and being able to go through a full offseason compared to getting here in July? I went with Clayton Smith for a lot of the same reasons that Corbin mentioned earlier about how excited we are to see him. I mean, he just got his fifth star from rivals. He seems like the guy that's probably the most ready to contribute on the defensive side of the ball. Again, Alex Grinch rotates his guys a lot. So even with a Nick Benito in front of him, I think Clayton's going to get a lot of playing time. And I do think that the backups on that defensive line are really going to have another great year, just like they did this past season where, you know, the starters are so good. They're going to create so many challenges. They're going to tire out that offensive line. And then we have a bunch of talented backups to throw at them as well, uh, you know, throughout the game. So I'm pretty pumped to see where Clayton Smith can go. I think he's a guy that, if things go well, he should only be on campus for three years. So uh, he's looking to make a mark early and often. Yeah, I'm going to stick on the defensive side of the football. I'm kind of going to go off the wall here. For me, I'm going with Isaiah Coe simply because I know that there's a lot of there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of you know maybe not necessarily inexperienced, but there's a lot of there's a lot of talent in that defensive line group, particularly in the interior. So obviously, we know about Perry on Winfrey. He's going to be your starting nose tackle. You know, he's he's a guy that has a chance to play himself into a first-round draft pick 
the next offseason. But looking at a guy like Isaiah Coe, giving him the opportunity to come in, give him a full offseason in the weight room with Benny Wiley, cut down any you know any bad weight, kind of build his body back up. He's a guy that OU fans are should be extremely excited about, a top-five defensive player in JUCO over the last few years. And let's face it, the transition going from JUCO ball all the way up to the Division One level, especially the you know Power 5 conference play, it can be kind of a challenge adjusting to the physicality and the level of play at the line of scrimmage. So given Isaiah Coe a spring ball, go through the summer workouts, going into fall camp, I think he has a chance to, to make an impact uh, right away going into 2021. So, Corbin, what do you think, man? I can tell you what, guys, great minds think alike. My my most excited players, you know, we were talking about earlier, had three, Clayton Smith, Mario Williams, Billy Bowman. We've hit all those guys and then some. Um, so we're on the same page there. But I actually have Billy Bowman uh, in this category for me for the exact same reasons you talked about, Tyler. I think it's going to take time to figure out where he fits best. And um, I would rather that happen now in January and February than summer. I think you're going to need this extended timeline to really figure it out, not only for the coaching staff's sake, but if we start kind of pushing him in a direction that maybe he wasn't necessarily thinking that that's his best opportunity, you may have to sell him on that a little bit. And that's going to be much better um, reciprocated, I think, from his side if you've got a little bit of a longer timeline to prove it to him. So uh, that's my guy for, you know, who has the most to gain. He's a ball player. We've got to get those guys on the field in some way, shape or form, even if it's with special teams would love to see him on kickoff returns with, um, um, with Marvin back there. So yeah, that's, that's the guy who I'm going with. Who's got the most to gain. And like I said, you know, you mentioned earlier, Tyler, he was a surprise, um, you know, coming in early. So I think that's uh, going to benefit the team and uh, him as a player, especially. It was fun watching his highlight film and seeing him make plays on both sides of the football, you know, kind of kind of talking about the impact that he can make and the decisions Lincoln Riley and Alex Fincher are going to have to make as far as where we want to line him up at. It could very well be a scenario where his skill set is just so good and he can have such an impact on the football game that they want to put him on both sides of the football. And, you know, it'd be hard pressed to kind of go back and find. I can't even think of who the last Oklahoma football player is that played on both sides of the football. That'd be kind of a fun trivia question that we can look up. Um, you know, to, but, but before the next podcast, but it's going to be really fun to see uh, see what becomes of Billy Bowman having the extra time going through a spring ball, allow the coaches to figure out where they want to play him, and obviously that could be a, uh, that could be a discussion that, that that extends into fall camp where they're going to play this guy. But obviously that's that's not a bad problem to have when you've got a guy that's so talented. We just don't know where to put him. Uh, and where he's going to fit on on the field. So, but guys, let's kind of change uh, let's kind of change directions here. I wanted to talk since we got Corbin here, kind of get another perspective on the college football playoff. Obviously, um, this is this has been a thing the last four or five years where it's been kind of one sided. There there really hasn't been you know tr- a true amount of you know competition, very competitive games, in, especially in the semifinals. And we all know what Alabama did to, to Ohio State this year and kind of dismantling them. That was kind of an all-time team down in Tuscaloosa. But, um, Corbin, starting with you, man, the college football playoff format, are, do you like the four-team scenario? Do you want to see it expanded? If so, is, is it six teams? Is it eight, 12? Who factors in? What do you think? Yeah, I, I like the four-team format. I would like an eight-team format better. Um, and I'll preface everything I'm about to say with, I think we all realize if we move to eight, there's going to be a call for 12. If we move to 12, there's going to be a call for 16. It's not going to stop until, you know, we get to basically an NCAA basketball format where we just throw in 64 teams and just 
play it out. So I think you have to be careful setting a precedent, especially after a year like this one, where I think there was a huge push for uh, expansion in the playoff. Um, everything happened with COVID, with the influx of group of five teams that were putting up great records. But eight's the number for me. I think it. You have the the the, the power conference winners all get an automatic bid. I think you got a couple at large, and I think you have one group of five, whoever that highest ranked team. <laughs> And to me, that's the solution. It gives every conference something to play for. It gives uh, you know people who may not be like an A&M, may not be in the conference championship game, still something to go play for. Um, and it gives the group of five schools an opportunity to show what they're worth. Um, and so that's the winner for me. But I would say if we go to eight, my ideal situation is that the high four, high four seeds that are in that bracket, they get to host the first round. That's how I'd want it. I think that creates a huge benefit, not only for um, there being a, a, an emphasis to be one of the top four teams, but you think about the ticket sales, you think about the sponsorship revenue, you think about uh, the gear revenue that people can buy on site, the concession revenue. That's a huge, huge benefit of being one of those top four seeds. And I'd be honest, man, to go see a playoff game in Norman as OU's hosting another massive school or honestly anywhere across the country that's awesome. I will always take the opportunity outside of OU Texas uh, to, to host a home game like that, a big home game. I just think it's different than a 50-50 stadium. Um, and so that's what I would do, have the top four seeds host, make it an eight-team tournament, and go from there. Adam, Adam, before I throw it to you, I want to, um, again, echo that. I think Corbin's got, got a hold of my notes because I'm, I'm in complete agreement with that. I think that I like the 14 playoff, especially because of the fact that there's there's always going to be the argument. There's a, there's a debate – after championship weekend, who's the four seed? Who's the five seed? If you push it back to eight teams, then it's just going to be the exact same thing. Who's eight? Who's nine? They're going to be fighting for that final spot. At the same time, looking back at, the, at this past year, going back to the college football playoff rankings, looking at those top eight, expanding it to eight teams, let the top four seeds host the quarterfinal games. Just think about some of the matchups we would have had. Alabama hosting Cincinnati, Clemson in Florida, Ohio State hosting Oklahoma up at the Shoe in Columbus. And you know, Notre Dame, Texas A&M battling it out in South Bend. I think that, you know, giving those top four seeds, reward them for playing well so all year, give them the opportunity, not just the teams, but also the fan bases of those top four schools, the opportunity to host an at-home playoff game. So I think that, like you said, Corbin, that's going to do uh, tremendous things, not only ticket sales, sponsorships, concession revenue, but it's also going to be great for the communities of all four schools that are going to be able to host this, and it's going to be great exposure uh, for not just it wouldn't be just great exposure for OU, but it'll also be great for Norman, the university, all those good things. So I, I I'm all in favor of expanding it out to eight teams. Uh, I think that that's I think that it has a huge trickle down effect as far as some of the things that could be improved upon in college football, whether it's uh, you know re- reducing the amount of opt outs, bowl games, you know, and and playoff games become more important. More teams have a chance to buy and compete for a national championship. You wouldn't have a situation where you've got four guys from you know Florida's you know offense opting out. You wouldn't have you know both running backs at North Carolina opting out before the bowl game last year. So I think I think it's not only going to you know make more money and you know as college football fans give us more games, but I think it's also going to elevate the play on the field and. Give me another. Give me an extra week of college football. I'm all for it. I mean, I, I like what you guys are saying as far as hosting playoff games in Norman and, and on campus around the country. I think that's really awesome and special. But I'm much more skeptical and hesitant to move to an 18 playoff. I know it's going to happen, but 
uh, I just look at it and I'm just not actually sure that something new is is necessarily going to be better. We thought the BCS was going to be better than the Bull Coalition. It kind of was. In a lot of ways, it wasn't. Uh, same thing, moving from BCS to a four-team playoff. So I, I think we have to be a little bit careful with, with what we wish for because a big thing and a change that you know happened for a team like OU or it's happening with Georgia quite a bit as well, where you know if you're in the playoffs, but you're not necessarily one of those top two teams, because usually there's only two that are actually going to have a chance at winning at all, you're, you're ending your season at a loss. And that really took a toll on this OU fan base to a point where a lot of people just didn't want to go to the playoffs this year. I disagreed with that uh, particular take, but a lot of people just wanted to go to the Cotton Bowl and win the game. Now, imagine if you expand it to eight teams. Well, that means OU pretty much has made five, six straight playoffs in a row and probably hasn't won any of those particular championships. So you're ending every season mm-hmm. with a loss at that point. Uh, I don't know, you know if that's something necessarily we all want to sign up for. Something to think about too, Corbin. Do you think an expansion to eight teams, does that water down the the impact that the games during the regular season have? You know, I thought about that a little bit because, I mean, you think it gives the big brand names more room for error. OU is one and two to start 2020, and they would have been in the playoff. Um, so, yes, I think so. And I think to, to counter Adam's argument, Baker's team – would have won a playoff game. Kyler's team, I think, would have won a playoff game. Um, and so, yeah, every team in the country outside of outside of one, if you're at this caliber level of a program, you're going to end it in a loss. Um, but but can you add a, a win or two in a playoff setting that you wouldn't have had, you know, in pre in the in the setup we have currently? So I think that's where I'd probably go against Adam a little bit. Is yeah, we're probably still losing in in this case the second round of the playoff in that final four spot, but at least we have a playoff win, which is something we, we can't state at the moment. Um, you know, so uh, it, it does. And then let's not get it twisted. If we, if we shift to eight, if we shift to 16, if we shift to 64, there are still two to three teams every single year, as we've seen every year since the playoff started to have a real chance at winning a national championship. That's not going to change. But the reason I would be more excited about this format is I love those massive non-conference matchups early in the year. You know, I think back to that LSU Texas game down in Austin. I think of you know when OU went up to Columbus. I think of you know, um, I mean, there's so many to count that just make me so excited thinking about not only past but like upcoming future. That is exactly what this is, except on steroids, right? It's a, it's a playoff game, and so just for the love of the sport and the, the love of those big matchups, not at a neutral site. That's what kind of gets me excited. But no, let's let's not get it twisted here. It's going to be the same two or three teams that win the championship every single year. That's not going to change. Yeah, yeah. You bring up a good point there, Corbin. I mean, as far as winning a playoff game, there is a lot of value in that, and I agree on the the non conference <laughs> matchup, which kind of ties into the fact that I think that the playoff really shouldn't have a playoff committee deciding who's in. It needs to be something more similar to the BCS, where you're you're pulling different polls and formulas and computer rankings and things like that. I think that would would have given the four team playoff a better chance at succeeding in long term because the criteria is like so undefined. But if you had specific criteria such as playing a power five opponent every year or maybe some something, you know, a lot of people have talked about with this past season how games got scheduled out of nowhere, you know, a couple of days beforehand. Maybe there's uh, the last week of September you play 
you know, a team ranked near you somehow, and, and you, you develop some matchups that way. I think that could be another way that it could just, you know, juice up, um, you know, the four team playoff. If there was some strict criteria and, uh, ways that you could determine who was going to be in rather than just a, I don't know, this team looks better. I lo- think the conference championships, it, the conference winners automatically be in because that, that automatically gives you, if you, if you include that in the power five, that leaves two teams up to the committee to decide. Do you think that's a logical answer? I think that I, I, I definitely believe that I think that every, every conference champion should have a, should have a chance to compete for a national championship. Now, whether or not, Every conference champion will have a legitimate chance to win a national championship. I think is a different discussion, but you know, it, you you've got those five teams selected in. You've got the you know the highest ranked group of five team, and then the two at large teams. I think we can probably go ahead and guarantee that one of those, if not both, is going to be an SEC team. Maybe you've got the second place team, um, run, the runner up from the the Big Ten championship, the runner up from the Big Twelve championship. One thing that I will say that I think waters down the season by going to eight teams is Corbin, you kind of touched on the fact that one of the best parts about college football are those early season matchups where you've got OU Ohio state playing a home and home. You've got, you know, Clemson playing Georgia this upcoming fall first game one of the college football season, Clemson versus Georgia. I think that if you expand the playoff to eight teams, it's going to encourage these teams, especially the blue bloods like Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia, OU. I think, I think it could encourage them and make them realize that, hey, we don't have to schedule an elite out-of-conference play. Play the three cupcakes. That's three guaranteed wins. Win your conference with, you know, either go undefeated or one loss. And win your conference, or honestly, if you're OU, have a, be a, one, a one-loss runner-up. I think that still is going to give you the nod as far as an 18 playoff goes. But um, I, I like the BCS Instead of the playoff committee, especially because of the fact that I think that it, it is going to reward teams, uh, you know, maybe not just on the eye test, but also the strength of the record, the strength of schedule, you know, points scored, points scored against. But then also at the same time, too, it's a double-edged sword because I think that the eye test does have to play a role in figuring out who the best teams are. I mean, guys, tell me if I'm wrong, but this past year, OU was ranked number six. Can we really sit here and say that if OU lined up on a field against number five Texas A&M or against number four Notre Dame, do you really not like OU in either one of those matchups? I mean, you bring up a good point there on the eye test. And uh, I, I went back and looked at the past five years, taking out 2020 because it was a strange year, going back to 2015 and seeing if we went you know, through, took all the conference champions plus the highest ranked group of five team, and then a few at largest to see, you know, what teams would get into the playoff. And 2019 is a good example of this because, uh, you know, the rankings had probably the most variety uh, after number four going down to number eight. Oregon, Memphis, Georgia, and Baylor would have gotten in to the playoff in that scenario in 2019. Baylor finished at 11 and two. Uh, I think they had the same amount of losses as Alabama. Alabama was ranked 13th on that uh, on that particular poll. But you can't tell me that if the eighth spot got into the playoff that there wouldn't be a totally different ranking if it was, well, I guess, should we put Baylor or Alabama in? Well, I test, we'll go with Bama at that point. So I feel like it wouldn't really get much variety in. It would just be another excuse to get in in Alabama. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you there. Um but I tell you what, man, it'd be fun seeing Bama go on the road to, to a playoff game. Uh, they're going to win it every three to four years anyway. Might as well make them work for it. 
but yeah, yeah, I agree. You're gonna you're gonna have that. You're gonna have the same helmet contest that we do now with the four, five, and six seats. Um, there's a reason Baylor and TCU didn't get in it. What year was that? 2015? 2014? Yeah, 2014. 14? 14. Yeah. There's a reason they didn't get in. And, and and the committee can say whatever they want about schedule or eye test. No, it's just the logo on the helmet. Um, and so, yeah, you look at 2019, Baylor's not at the eight seed. We all can, I think, you know, speak pretty confidently on that. Um, and you could probably make an argument that, you know, Georgia's not at the seven seed. It, probably Bama, even after a loss to Auburn. So, yeah, you're going to get all that. Um, but, yeah, I just – and this is strictly the, the fans speaking from me. Yeah, I, I'd love I'd love those big matchups. Um, but you're right, Tyler. I think you do wonder if that takes away uh, those early season matchups. I don't think in a place like Oklahoma under Joe Castiglione, I don't think that matters. I think we probably still continue to schedule those big matchups every couple of years. Um, but you wonder at a mid-level – Power five school, yeah, why the hell would they schedule a big matchup? Um, there's no point for them to do it now, and there's certainly no point for them to do it, you know, with eight teams. So, um, yeah, I'm with you both on that in, in, in different directions. I think that you definitely want to continue to schedule those big non-conference games, especially try to get as many of them at home as possible. One, it, it, it provides better, you know, better entertainment for us as fans, but also, two, it's going to help with the, you know, the, the selling of season tickets. The, the stronger the home schedule, the better chance you are of being able to fill the stadium for whatever, what is it, 150 straight sellouts in Norman. Uh, wink, wink. But, no, I, I, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. And, and like I said, it, it's just expanding it to eight teams. I can't get over the possibility of, you know, having OU being able to host a semifinal. Imagine imagine Texas A&M coming into Norman having 87,000, you know, fans in that stadium for a college football playoff semi or quarterfinal a chance to go compete for a national championship. There's just there's definitely pros and cons or to both sides. Um, but again, I'm you're probably setting a dangerous precedent by expanding it to eight teams because where do you draw the line from there? But I think that it would provide really good entertainment, obviously make the sport and the teams involved a lot more money. And I I think that by only having four teams, guys, tell me if I'm wrong. There's probably what six, eight, ten teams that go into the year that we think, okay, these these six, these eight, they're the only ones that probably have a legitimate chance of winning a national championship. The other guys are just you know playing for pride, playing for their school, playing for their chance to make it to the next level. So. I understand wanting to keep it at four, but throw it at eight at this point. Let's let's do it. I I agree with that, and I'll bring up one final point on this that a lot of people talk about is having you know an automatic spot for the highest ranked group of five team. And if you go back and look at what would have been an eight team playoff over the last couple of years, and maybe we'll tweet this out so it makes a lot more sense. But pretty much, it's just the AAC team: Memphis, Central Florida. Uh, Central Florida, Houston, Cincinnati this past year. So it really just makes it a power six conference at that point uh, because they're going to continue to get uh, bumps in recruiting because they'll be in the playoffs. And your Conference USA and uh, your Sun Belts, those teams are going to probably have a very, very difficult time making the playoffs. So uh, that's kind of an interesting aspect that no one really talks about. Uh, And also another aspect of going back and looking at you know, who would have been that large teams. There's not a, except 2019 when OU and Baylor would have made it. There's not really very many years where a second big 12 team would have made the playoff. So I think the big 12 would be forced to look at expansion at that point. 
I would have loved to have seen two Big 12 teams um, compete in a in an 18 playoff this year. I mean, I think yeah. Iowa State had a chance to, uh, to to be competitive with pretty much anybody, maybe outside of Alabama. I mean, that was just kind of like a team of destiny, the same that could go with you know Joe, Joe Burrow and that LSU team last year. But um, obviously, good arguments to both sides of it. We'll see what happens as we you know move down the line into the future. But um, four teams, eight teams. I'm, I'm good either way. Hope it goes to eight, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, uh, guys, to kind of round it out here, I wanted to kind of come up with a fun topic, fun question. I actually stole this from the uh, Unnecessary Roughness podcast, listened to it the other day. I thought it would be a, a fun question to kind of give our takes on. And the question is, what would be the best and worst fan base to marry into and why? So who wants to start off? We'll, we'll give our best three, then we'll give our worst three. Ooh, I, I only picked one of each, uh, but I'll. No, no, no I'll, I mean, we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll each of us will do give our best, then each of us will give our worst. So you only have to okay. pick one. Okay, okay. Well, I'll, I'll kick it off then. Uh, for my best, I went with Michigan State. If you know, you know. Uh, I have a Michigan State uh, parent, so I know it's a, a good family to marry into. And uh, you're never really going to compete much on the field, so not a ton of conflict there. Uh, in some ways, you're helping out the Michigan State spouse because, you know, now they have a, a team that's going to compete for championships on the football field. So uh, I, I'd say Michigan State. Corbin? Yeah, you know, I thought there were there were two I had in mind. And I'm still kind of torn. Um, but I thought long and hard about Nebraska um, because they've got a fan base that is diehard like no other in so many sports. It's not just a football school. Um, that place is packed all the time. But I'm going North Dakota State. That is my fan base that I would like to marry into. Uh, has that kind of like that small town vibe where the whole town shuts down on, on Saturdays for the football game. Anytime game day is out there, it's just a raucous, packed crowd. And let's be honest, they, they win a lot, which always helps. So uh, a little off the cuff, I'm going with the Bison. I like it. I like it. I'm. Uh, this was kind of tough too. There were a couple different ways I could go with this. For me, I'm going to go with LSU. Um, couple reasons for that is one, it's it's the passion from the fan base. You know, as far as rowdy fans are concerned, there's probably isn't a better fan base in America, and there might not be a tougher place in the entire country to play a night game at Death Valley inside Tiger Stadium, but. When you talk about the passion of the fan base, they travel well. The game day atmosphere is fantastic. The tailgating, the Cajun food. If you're if OU's not playing, and you're and I definitely would not mind spending a weekend in Baton Rouge. You know, not necessarily sporting the purple and the gold, but I think it would be a good time. Would definitely be a good fan base uh, to kind of marry into. So I know it's SEC, but that's what I'm going to go with. I will take the under on the OU LSU marriage. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a headache. So good luck um, for me. Uh, I'll, I'll kick it off with the worst there. Uh, I there's really a lot of different directions you could go with this one as well. But uh, I'm going to go with Alabama. I uh, and the reason being is I actually have a guy in my small group down here in Dallas that is an Alabama fan, and it's. It's just so annoying. Uh, he's not he's not an annoying guy or an annoying fan or anything, but the few times that the conversation turns to college football, I, I just feel like such a small man <laughs> compared to all the titles that they have. And it's probably the one fan base, maybe outside of Ohio State as well, where 
it's like, man, I just, there's nothing I can say. Like y'all are just better than, than OU uh, now and, and historically as well. So uh, I wouldn't want to deal with that. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Um, for me, the fan base I wouldn't want to marry into is Florida state. Um, <laughs> I have seen that stadium at noon kickoff games, whether they are ranked, whether they are good, whether they're not just be empty. And, you know, growing up in a place like Oklahoma, that just doesn't happen. And let's be honest, in the year that we live in, with a team called the Seminoles and the Tomahawk Chop, you know you're going to have that family member that always is going to bring up race at all of those holiday dinners. So I want nothing to do with it at all. Uh, so, yeah, I am staying far away from the, uh, the Seminoles down in Tallahassee. Corbin, twenty twenty one. Nobody would, nobody would bring up anything like that. Surely not. <laughs> no. Well, for me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick in the in the SEC as well. There's a couple different ways I could go with this, as far as worst fan base to marry into. Kind of what, what fan base, what family you would want to be around. For me, I'm gonna go with Texas A and M strictly, strictly because of kind of the time that we live in right now, where they're starting to, you know, starting to pick things up. To me, there's probably not a more annoying college football fan base in America right now. They're drinking the SEC Kool-Aid, beating their chest, chanting SEC, riding the coattails of Alabama. But, I mean, I know I know that it's uh, – having personally been to a game at Kyle Field, the atmosphere is great. You know, quote-unquote, it's probably a cult what goes on there. We could dive into that a little bit more. But just in terms of the annoyance and almost like an arrogance, claiming false – championships, you know, almost similar to what, you know, Oklahoma State does 1945. But if you were, if you had to force me to, to see all the maroon wife going around the house, whooping, throwing hands up in the air, farmer's fight, all that stuff, I just don't know if I could put up with that. I don't know if that would be something that could go the distance as far as marriage goes. I agree with that. I think you're, you're very wise on this particular school. <laughs> yeah, hard to argue that one. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, we'll, we'll continue to do those kind of some fun, different topics, kind of stir the pot a little bit, but um, I don't, doesn't look like anything has, has broke on Twitter since we started, started recording. It's pretty rare that that happens, but um, anything else guys before we kind of get out of here? I got nothing, but thanks so much Corbin for, for jumping in on and having some fun discussion on OU football tonight. Yeah, guys, it's been a blast. Hopefully we can uh, do it again real soon. Yeah, we'll absolutely do it again uh, very soon. Obviously, like I said, off-season spring football is ramping up here. Players are back. Classes are starting up. Workouts are going on right now. Um, we'll, we'll continue to do this more and more. Hopefully, you know, there, there's a lot of different things we can talk about. Obviously, we've got a lot of a lot of different topic discussions that we've kind of got written down, a lot of really neat things that we're going to be able to, you know, not just talk about but also debate this off-season. It's going to be a fun one as OU looks to uh, win their eighth national championship this upcoming fall. It's going to be probably the best chance – most talented team this, that uh, OU has had on the field probably in, what, the last decade, guys. So it's going to be a lot of fun to cover, lots to look forward to, just a couple hundred days away. Uh, but, again, always appreciate you guys listening. Uh, you can follow us on on Twitter at the Mainline Pod one Go online. You can catch us on Apple, Spotify. Like us, subscribe, give us a review. Uh, but, again, appreciate Adam Corbin for joining us. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we'll look forward to doing it again next week right here on another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Mainline Podcast.